If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, and we'll be in chapter 15. I want to welcome all of you who are worshiping here in our celebration service and our summit service, those that are worshiping with us from, uh, from home, on television, and online, and those that are traveling uh, but have uh, pulled us up this morning to be with us even when they're on the road. Uh, I love our Sunday morning schedule, uh, Sunday school, and uh, I loved my Sunday school class this morning. I hope you were in a Bible study class this morning and hope it was as uh, meaningful to you. It's so good to have that fellowship and the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ. And then I love our worship time. The only negative is that everybody doesn't get to worship uh, in all the different ways. And so this morning I was over in Summit service and was with them about 10 minutes or so. And it was hard to leave because it was a special time of worship. And then I come over here and I regret I wasn't here 10 minutes earlier. And uh, the Lord is so good to our church. Uh, today we come to the last of our four messages on the fall of Saul. And I figured that would get an amen. <laughs> Next week, if the Lord allows, we will move on to David. Uh, but we're trying to figure out exactly how King Saul lost his reign, lost the favor of God, suffered consequences in his life and the lives of his children and grandchildren for many, many generations. We're learning about the fall of Saul. Today will be a little different kind of sermon. If you've looked at your worship guide, you see that there aren't any points uh, today. There's really only one point for the whole message. Now, don't get excited. That doesn't mean <laughs> it'll just be a fourth of its length, but uh, just one thing I want you to leave with today, and I want to take my entire time to try to convince you with God's word of that one point. So let's begin in 1 Samuel 15, verse 9. The Bible says, Saul and the troops spared Agag and the best of the sheep, goat, cattle, and choice animals, as well as the young rams and the best of everything else. They were not willing to destroy them, but they did destroy all of the worthless and unwanted things. So as we've studied the fall of Saul, we said that Saul had two great sins that caused him to lose the favor of God. And one of those is recorded in 1 Samuel 13, and one of those is recorded here in 1 Samuel 15. Both of, both of these sins really revolved around some battles. In 1 Samuel 13, the Israelites were battling the Philistines. In 1 Samuel 15, they're battling the Amalekites. In 1 Samuel 13, God had given some specific instructions to Saul the king that he was to wait for the prophet of God, whose name is Samuel, to arrive on the scene so they could have this special worship service uh, that Samuel, the prophet, would lead, and then they could go into battle. Well, Saul didn't do it that way. Saul had his own plan. Saul thought his plan was better than God's plan. 
Saul didn't trust the Lord enough to wait. And so Saul goes into battle before he was supposed to go into battle. And that was the first great sin. And we read in 1 Samuel 13 that because Saul didn't obey the Lord and Saul didn't trust the Lord, that Saul lost the favor of God. Well, then we come to 1 Samuel 15, and here the battle is against the Amalekites. And God's instruction is for Saul and the army to go in and destroy the wicked Amalekites. Destroy everybody and everything. Don't leave a single uh, animal behind. Don't take any of their treasure. Completely destroy everything, every person. Destroy the Amalekites. Well, Saul thought again that he had a different plan, a better plan. And so while he destroyed some things, he didn't destroy other things. And here's the second great sin that led to Saul losing the favor of God. And in verse 9 here, we see the specifics of this. I want you to look back at that verse because there are two things that are exceptionally important. One is right in the middle of the verse. It lists all the different things that Saul uh, spared. And then the last thing in the list is what? The best of everything else. There are all kinds of things that Saul kept. Now, how did Saul decide what to keep and what not to keep? I mean, God had already given him the standard, destroy it all. But how does Saul make the decision of what he's going to keep, where he's going to be obedient to God, and what he's going to, um, uh, how he's going to be disobedient to God, and what he's going to destroy, being obedient to God? Well, then notice the last part of verse 9. They were not willing to destroy them, some of these items, but they did destroy all of the worthless and unwanted things. So what did these people destroy? And, and, and this was an act of obedience to God. So really they were giving these things to God. What did they give to God? What did they sacrifice? What did they destroy? Well, they destroyed everything that they thought was worthless and unwanted. What did they keep? What did they refuse to give to God? What did they hold on to? Everything that they deemed valuable and desirable. So they destroyed what was worthless and useless, and they kept what was valuable and desirable. And there is a very important lesson here that we can learn that impacts every relationship in our lives, and especially our relationship with God and God's relationship with us. So let's try to figure out why Saul did what he did. Why would Saul be so disobedient? Why did Saul do the opposite of what God had commanded him to do? Saul was not an unreasonable man. He had to have had a reason. Here's why Saul did it. Saul did the practical thing. Now let's think about that. God has told him to go and destroy these people and all of their resources, but what is the more practical thing to do? The more practical thing is to destroy some of the people and some of the things, but keep the people and the things that you think are valuable to you. That's the, that's the more practical thing. Doesn't that make sense? 
There's no point in destroying something that's valuable. There's no point in destroying something you wish you could have. And so what Saul did is he excused his disobedience with his practicality. I'm sure somebody went up to Saul and said, I thought God said to destroy all of this. And Saul said, well, listen, it's not practical to destroy that. That's worth a lot of money. It's not practical to destroy this over here. That's valuable to us. Saul had a problem with his love for the Lord, and I'm going to show you that in a moment. Saul had a problem with his love for the Lord, but he disguised it with his practicality. Saul would have said, I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but he didn't. And the way he fooled himself is because he hid behind the excuse of practicality. That's how he disguised his, um, his lack of love for the Lord. And this isn't the only place we see this in the Bible. Let me just give you some other examples. We could turn to the New Testament. I'll just tell you the story. I'll read a little bit. But in John chapter 12, uh, beginning of the chapter, Jesus and his disciples are visiting the home of Mary and Martha. And something very interesting happens. Uh, in verse 3 it says, Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair so that the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. So she's got this perfume that maybe even had been passed down for many generations in her family. It was worth a great deal. And so Jesus is there. She decides to honor Jesus. She breaks open the uh, the bottle of perfume, and she anoints Jesus' feet, wipes his feet with her hair. It would have been a very dramatic scene. Verse 4, the following verse says, Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So 300 denarii, that's a year's wage. That tells you how valuable this perfume was. And so Judas pops up and says, we shouldn't have done that. We should have sold this. We could have given the money to the poor. Uh, in the next verse it says, he didn't say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Now, if you've been in church very long at all, you know something of Mary uh, and something of Judas. So based on your biblical knowledge, which of those two do you think truly loved the Lord? So how did Mary express her love for the Lord in this extravagant, generous sacrifice, right? How did Judas express his heart for the Lord? Practicality. He said the practical thing would have been, and he had a plan. It wasn't an honest plan, and the practicality wasn't honest. The Bible tells us he didn't, he didn't mean to give this to the poor. He planned to profit off of it somehow. But he hid his lack of love for the Lord behind the guise of practicality. We could turn to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 1. And their people were offering practical sacrifices to God. Now see if this doesn't make a lot of sense. God had told them to bring certain animals 
and offer them as a sacrifice and certain foods that they would offer as a sacrifice in that sacrificial system. So what the people were doing is they were bringing their lame animals. They were bringing the blind animals and they were bringing the bad food. And that made sense to them. It makes sense to us, right? If you're going to have to sacrifice something, sacrifice that which is already sick. Sacrifice that which is worth the least. Sacrifice the blind animals, not the good animals. It was a very practical strategy, except for this. It was a guise for their lack of love for the Lord. Malachi 1.14, the Bible says, the deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow, but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king and my name is to be feared among the nations. God said, I'm a great king. You don't sacrifice to me that which is worthless because I'm worth so much. So what did God tell these practical worshipers. Verse 10, Malachi 1.10, God said, I wish one of you would shut the doors of the temple so that no one would come and offer a useless fire on my altar. God says, you're not going to hide your spiritual uh, deficits behind the guise of practicality. Uh, I'll give you just one more. Uh, we'll get to this perhaps in a few weeks, uh, but in 2 Samuel 24, 24, King David is going to offer sacrifices to the Lord. He's going to build a special altar to do this. And so he goes to the place where he wants to do this and he doesn't own the land. It's, it's a hill and he wants to do it on this hill, but he doesn't own the hill. So the landowner comes out, sees the king there, and asks what's going on. King David said, I want to build an altar for our Lord right there on that hill, and that belongs to you. And the landowner said, King, it's yours. You can have it. There's no cost. I won't charge you a dime. You go and build your altar for the Lord. And in fact, I'll give you all the animals you need. I'll pay for everything. And you know what David said? This is interesting. And it shows you the difference between Saul and David. David said, 2 Samuel 24, 24, no, I insist on buying it from you for a price. For I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You see, David wasn't going to hide behind practicality. David just wanted to honor, honor the Lord. So here's my one point. Love goes beyond what is practical. Love is not practicality. Love is when we go beyond what is practical. It's not expressed by us meeting some contractual obligation. It is, it is going beyond what is practical. If I, when I make my mortgage pay me every, payment every month, I'm not showing my love to the bank, okay? I'm making my payments so they let me stay in the house, okay? I mean, that's a give or take. They like the payments, I like the house, we, we work this thing out. 
Love is not what's practical. Love is not some contractual obligation. Love is when we go beyond what is practical. Love is when we express our care, concern, and we seek to bless somebody when we don't have to bless somebody. Love goes beyond what is practical. Love is extravagant. Love is when you when you go so far above what is practical that somebody like Judas Iscariot is going to look at it and say, that's extravagant. Love is extravagant. Love is also unnecessary. Love is when you do something that's not necessary. If it were necessary, it wouldn't be love. Love is unreasonable. Love's not done because you get something. It's unreasonable. And love is, is wasteful. Wasteful in the sense that if you just wanted to do what was most practical, you would not love. Why is love wasteful? It's because love is an expression of the affection of our hearts, not the transaction of some obligation. I'll tell you the first way I learned this, or one way I learned this. Uh, years ago, 23, 24 years ago, my wife was... Uh, uh, about to give birth to our first child. And uh, it was December. Uh, Hannah came on December the 3rd. Uh, my wife had commented a few times before the birth of the child, I pay attention to what my wife says. And she said that she was looking forward to when she'd be able to go back and exercise and do all the active things that she had done before she was pregnant. And so I wanted to encourage my wife. So she has the baby, December 3rd, and I'm looking for a Christmas gift, a practical, thoughtful Christmas gift. And so on Christmas morning, she opens up the gift, and it is a one-year gym membership, workout clothes, and a workout bag. And I thought that was brilliant. I learned that it was not. <laughs> Love's not practical. Love goes beyond what is practical. You know where we should learn this is from the gospel. The story of the gospel is not that Jesus owed us something. The story of the gospel is not that Jesus was obligated to do something. The story of the gospel is that God gave his son, Jesus, to show his love. Philippians 2, uh, 6, 7, 8, that Jesus, uh, though he was God, did not see his status as God as a way to bless himself, but he saw it as an opportunity to bless us. And so he came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross. Why? Because he was obligated? No. Why? Because he was told to? No. Why? Because we were worthy of it? No. It's just his expression of love for us. Isn't that amazing? That's what love is. It's not practical. It's extravagant. I'll tell you another way you, you can see this. We're coming up on Christmas. And so here at the church, Christmas, it's Christmas every day. Uh, Tom and Grant and others getting ready for Christmas. We're going to have a great Christmas, by the way. Did you know that Sunday, Christmas is on a Sunday this year? Circle that on your calendar. But as we, uh, 
as we approach Christmas, one of the things we think of is uh, the wise men. Uh, the three wise men or the wise men, we don't actually know the number, but these wise men that came from the east and brought these gifts. Do you know what the gifts are? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now I've heard pastors preach on this um, and try to make these gifts practical gifts. I've heard, I've heard explanations where people uh, have said that these were like survival supplies, that these were, it was like a camping kit and Jesus was going to need the gold and his parents were going to need the frankincense and the myrrh. No, no. There was nothing practical about the gold, the frankincense and the myrrh. Jesus didn't need any of that. Mary didn't need any of that. Joseph didn't need any of that. It was really unreasonable. It was extravagant that they would give those gifts. It was extravagant that they would travel from the east to find this baby Jesus. But that's what love is. It was an expression of love. And we have this in our culture in a lot of ways. Uh, even, even away from the Christian culture, we see this today. Uh, when I uh, proposed to my wife, I gave her a gold ring with a piece of charcoal on it that had been compressed into a diamond. Now, that ring is good for nothing. It won't tell you what time it is. It doesn't have a, like a decoder function. It's, it is, it's good for nothing. Why do we give people charcoal on a gold band when we want to tell them we love them and want to spend the rest of our lives with them? Because it's exactly because it's nothing. Had I given her a certificate for a free vacuum cleaner every year for the rest of her life and said, would you marry me? You would have a single pastor. <laughs> because love is not practical, it's going beyond practical. My wife says, okay, I'll marry you. It took some prodding, but uh, she said, when are we gonna get married? And I said, as soon as I get this piece of charcoal paid off. <laughs> now, uh, men, and this is free advice, every once in a while, you ought to buy your wife, if you're married, uh, you ought to buy her some dead weeds that we call roses. Now, it won't make any sense. They're dying when you get them. They'll be dead longer than they'll be alive. It'll just be a mess that has to be thrown away and it will cost way more than it should cost. But you should do it, right? Because love is not practical. No rose was ever practical. Go get her a plastic one from Walmart. It'll stick around longer, but it won't work, okay? Why is all of that? Love goes beyond what is practical. Through a strange chain of events in the last couple of weeks, I became aware of, um, I became aware that somebody in the church uh, I had a great deal of respect for, uh, I became aware that they were not a giver. Uh, I ordinarily don't know. I don't know what you give, if you give. Uh, 
The only people whose gifts I know are the people who tell me. You know, every once in a while I'm involved in that somehow, but if you've not told me, I don't know. And I, don't, I can't pull it up on my computer. I don't have access to the records. And that's the way we do it. That's the way we're going to continue to do it. But there were just some unusual circumstances. And I became aware of that. And it broke my heart. I, I'm choosing to believe that it's an error somehow, that I got wrong information. I don't think that's possible, but that's what I'm going to choose to believe. I'm certainly not comparing myself with that person and my love for God with theirs, but, but it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. And, and I'm sure if I asked this person, if I pulled this person aside today and I asked this person, I'm sure there would be a practical answer. This is a smart person, as far as I know. And uh, I imagine there would be a practical answer. Just like King Saul gave a practical answer. But the truth is that if the information I've gleaned is correct, there's a problem with that person's love for the Lord. Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Now, I'm not that person's judge. and The good thing about me is I will have forgotten who it was in about three weeks. So if it's you, if you're worried that you, uh, just give me, give me to the end of November, I won't know. Um, but the reason that tells me that there's a problem somewhere in their love for God is because whatever their practical explanation might be, love goes beyond what is practical. If we were to ask, what should a relationship with God look like? What, what should it look like if somebody has a deep abiding relationship with God? You know, there are really two bad answers to that question that you hear often. In fact, I've probably said both of these. Uh, one, one answer is, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? It just means that at some point in your history, some point in your life, you believe Jesus was the Son of God, you trusted his sacrifice on the cross for, uh, for forgiveness, and you prayed a sinner's prayer. And you did that transaction, you know, you did your part, he did his part, you checked it off, bang. That's what it means to be a believer. So that's, that's one wrong answer. And the other wrong answer on the other side is um, a believer is someone that has a, a heart for God that burns hot, bright, that you just have this uh, adoration for God that you wake up in the mornings and you just swoon as you pray and you just walk around with this effervescence about you because you love the Lord. I mean, you love the Lord. And we turn relationship with God into a feeling. So over here, relationship with God's a transaction over here. Relationship with God is a feeling. Now, both of those are ditches that you don't want to run into. 
the Bible says something different. There is some truth to the transaction and there is some truth to the feeling. Uh, but if you've been here very often, you know we, we believe in the whole counsel of God's word. And we, and we talk about uh, certainly you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, and certainly you, you, you have an adoration for God. Uh, but it's about walking with Christ. It's about the fruit of the spirit in your life. So all that, that's my theological disclaimer before I say this. At the end of the day, though, it is a fair question to ask. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? I'm not just checking the box. And I'm not making your relationship with God just a feeling. But if we don't love the Lord, then, then there's a problem then there's a problem. Uh, I want to talk for just a moment about specifically about the subject of giving, and I'm going to go right back to the message and finish this point. Uh, we've been talking now today, four weeks. This is the last Sunday, just, whew. but we've been talking for a few weeks about giving, not solely on giving, but, but we've used that as the, the illustration, the application for these messages. And, uh, so let me just sort of sum up. We said that there are several reasons for giving. We, we've seen this in the fall of Saul. We, we said that one reason is obedience. We give because God commands us to give. Uh, secondly, we learn that we give because we trust the Lord. It's an expression of our trust. If I don't give, then there's some question about where my trust is. Uh, then last week, we learned that while we don't give to get, God loves to show his children blessings when they put themselves in a position where he can do that. God loves to reward those who give. We said that Jesus said, Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we also gave you a brochure. And hopefully you've gotten this more than once. Uh, we know sometimes people lose things. It has a lot of resources in it. And I won't go through all of that today other than to point you to the back page. Uh, here are the ways that you can give if you choose to give. Uh, many people will give during the services. We're not passing the offering plates right now. Um, and there's a lot more to that probably than you're thinking. Uh, but right now, uh, the primary way to give in the service are boxes that are located at all of the exits. And uh, many people give, and you can put a, a check in there. Or if you have an envelope, there are envelopes at the boxes. Uh, we mail envelopes to your homes. Uh, you can just put your gift in the envelope and put it there. Many people give online. That's how I give, fbcnac.org. Uh, slash give, I think will get you there. But if you just go to the website, there's a button and you just click give and you can give with a credit card or a checking account or a savings account. And it's easy to set up a regular schedule of giving if you choose to do that. Uh, oftentimes people will mail their gifts to the church. And so in the mail, we get uh, those gifts. Sometimes people will bring gifts by the church, you know, just hand them to our financial uh, secretary and uh, that's all taken care of. So th these are the different ways. And I just wanted to bring your attention to this. These are the different ways that people can give. If you have any questions, of course, reach out to the church. Now, there is a special uh, gift that we 
uh, want to receive in the next uh, couple of weeks. We're calling it Advance the Ministry. Never done this before. This is just a one-off thing. I don't know that we'll ever do it again. Uh, but the Lord's been very good to our church, and we have a lot of things going on. Uh, we are busier than we've been in the last five, six years. So many things on the calendar, so many good things happening. Uh, and all of those things uh, require funding. Uh, now, your giving for 2022, by the way, has been stellar. Uh, when so many churches, because of inflation and other things, when so many churches are short of funds, uh, so many churches, most churches, their giving has plummeted in 2022. Our giving has increased. So thank you and God bless you, right? Uh, God's doing some unusual things here. Uh, but spending has increased as well. And uh, we've put some breaks on some ministry opportunities just going into the last uh, few months here. And uh, I'd like to see us just turn that around, just to open up the floodgates of those ministries and and uh, set those ministers free. So we're going to have a special offering. You can give today, you can give next week, you can give the next week, you can do it online, you can mail it, you carry your pigeon, however you want to do this. Uh, but we're calling it Advance the Ministry. And if you would like to give to this, if you don't, don't. If you're visiting with us, keep your wallet in your purse, okay? This isn't for you. But uh, if you'd like to be a part of this, whether it's a, a little bit or a lot, uh, I would encourage you to do this. Uh, just mark your gift, advance the ministry. It doesn't authorize any new spending or anything, just goes for the regular uh, budgeted ministries here at the church. I, I think I shared with both groups uh, last week or the week before what my family is going to do. And some, some people can't do this as much, and some people could do more. Uh, this is just my personal, what I think God wants us to do. And uh, we're going to give, we give about the same thing every month. We're going to give it again in November. So in November, I'll give my regular November, and then I'm going to give that one more time, and I'm going to mark that second one, advance the ministry. Uh, as I said, there's no pressure. You give. If you don't want to give, don't give. Uh, but I think this is something, this is a tool that the Lord's going to use, I believe, to help us uh, just keep everything turned up to 10 around here for the next uh, for the next two or three months. Now, I want to draw your attention to just one more thing. So either on your seat when you came in or in the worship, uh, in the brochure, if you got a brochure with one of these cards, uh, let me just put your mind at ease. I'm not going to collect these cards. This is not that kind of thing. Not that that's bad, but that's not what we're doing today. There are six commitments on this card, and I'd like for you to make all six commitments. Uh, I'm going to make them. I haven't filled it out, but if I had a pen, I would. Uh, I, want you to, I want you to make all of those commitments. Tom, do you have a pen? I want to thank you, sir. Now, you need a pen, too. So. <laughs> all right. So the, I, I commit to the Lord to give first. I'm not going to elaborate on all of these. We've preached on these. Uh, you give first, you live off what's left. That's the most important lesson in giving, by the way. As long as you're giving over what's left over, you'll never succeed at this. And it'll always be filled, by the way, with stress and worry. Give first. Secondly, I commit to giving regularly. 
For some people, that's weekly. For some people, that's monthly. There might be some unusual circumstances that would be different from that. But we ought to give as we pay our bills, as we, as, uh, we get paid. We ought to give regularly. There's scripture support for that. I give proportionally. If God's blessed you with more, you ought to give more. If God's blessed you with less, then give less. And feel good about what you gave, by the way. Give proportionally. Give eagerly and cheerfully. We love the Lord. And we're going to show that with our extravagance. Give generously and sacrificially. And then finally, I want to advance the ministry with my special gift. I'm going to write my name there. Now, here's what I want you to do with this. You don't give it to me. You're not making this commitment to me. Just take it and put it in your Bible. It's your commitment to the Lord. And you use that in those scripture verses as an encouragement in the days to come. Hey, just one closing thought here. I had always heard, and I bet you have as well, always heard that it's better to give than receive. Uh, that there's more joy in giving gifts than receiving gifts. I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I just thought that was one of those dumb things parents said. <laughs> and... Uh, by kid, I mean until just a couple of years ago. Um, now, when I was a kid, I just thought, it's sort of like this spanking will hurt me more than it hurts you. I just thought, there's a book somewhere, crazy things parents say to their kids. And my, my parents say it. But I, I don't know when you officially trans, transfer to the old man status. Um, I guess I'm there and I have learned that it is exactly true. Now I like gifts like everybody else, uh, Christmas gifts, birthday gifts from the family. Uh, but no, my greatest memories about gifts are all about giving gifts. I bet the same is true for many or most of you. I remember about seven years ago, this will embarrass her, but seven years ago, um, 10 years ago, seven years, I don't know, years ago, um, my youngest daughter, Ray, she wanted a Lego Disney castle. Well, daddy couldn't afford a Lego Disney castle. Those Lego buildings cost nearly the same as the real building, okay? <laughs> But she wanted one and she had to have some surgery and that pulled my heartstrings. And so we gave her a Lego Disney castle, 4,000 pieces. And it kept her occupied most of the day. <laughs> She's too good at that. It makes the expense even more painful. But I remember when we gave that to her and it was more than we should have spent it was unnecessary, it was extravagant. But I remember when we gave that to her, she literally squealed. <laughs> it's one of the greatest memories of my life. I remember a few years later, I, um, my middle daughter was playing trumpet and she had a trumpet, uh, but it was a Walmart trumpet or something. And, um, so we decided one Christmas that we would get her a real trumpet, professional trumpet. And again, 
more than we should have spent. And, um, and it was more than she needed. It was extravagant. It was unreasonable. It was wasteful. But we gave it to her and she wept. I'll never forget that. And then, I can't leave my wife out. We, um, I don't know, this was probably 15 years ago. We, we were watching, she was watching uh, Christmas shows on television, maybe uh, a few weeks before Christmas. And I don't know what that, that's something, I don't know. It's just a problem she has and we hadn't found a, a drug to help. But she watches all of these Christmas shows. So she was watching this show and they were, I'd never even heard of this. They were showing these department store windows in New York City that they decorate and all. Um, listen, if I were there and that were across the street, I wouldn't go look at them. But I watched my wife sit there and just, she was so, that was like the most important thing in the world at that time. I thought, my wife's gonna see those this year. And we, I worked out a couple of little things, and put on an airplane, we went and we looked at those windows. I just can't imagine now I even did that, but uh, love you, Donna. But she loved that so much. It wasn't reasonable, it was extravagant, wasteful, just like when Jesus died on the cross for me. Love, it's love when it goes beyond the practical. I want people in our church to give because God has commanded us to give. I want to give because I trust God. I give in part because Jesus says he's going to reward those who are faithful. But the primary motivation to give where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And I adore my Lord. Head bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, we love you. That's the only reason we're here. We love you. We love you. Father, may every part of our lives reflect our love for you extravagant, unnecessary, wasteful, irresponsible perhaps. We want to love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up in both services. There will be ministers down front. And as we sing, if you'd like somebody to pray with you, you come see one of these ministers.